Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Martial Arts Podcast. It's a very special edition today, as always. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be hosting things. I'm Jake Latarski. You can find me on Twitter at jakeski52. But today, subbing in for John Littering, we have uh, Richard Mann. You can find him on Twitter at Richard Mann. We're going to be doing the regular, it's a, uh, oh, excuse me, at Richard A. Mann. Today, we're going to be doing the regular uh, rundown. We'll be breaking down the fights on the main card. Uh, we'll be making some fantasy picks. All for UFC 234, uh, live this Saturday in Mel- Melbourne, Australia. Richard, thanks so much for joining me. It's our first pod together. So uh, I guess if you can just give our listeners a little bit about your background, you know, where you all contribute to. Um, you can talk about any, a lot of sites, not just Rotowire, but uh, a lot of you have probably read Richard's uh, recap work or maybe his fight stat rap article that we like to post every Monday uh, here on Rotowire MMA. But uh, uh, the floor is yours. Well, yeah, Jake, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I have been, I guess, covering MMA from. 2008 9-ish uh and i have been contributing to fight metric and sort of a data analyst capacity since 2011 i currently do a stat preview for the main event of pretty much every show now for espn.com and i also cover college wrestling for intermatwrestle.com so that's pretty much what i'm doing right now uh in addition to my work on rotowire 
Excellent. Yeah, we're up in uh, Big Ten country here. We're, our office is right behind uh, the Kohl Center and not too far from where the Badgers wrestle. So, uh, we've yeah, got so I, actually, uh, I was actually at Maryland this weekend for Wisconsin and Maryland. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, say Wisconsin got the better of that one would be an understatement. Oh, yeah. I haven't really quite followed the program much since uh, I graduated from there in 2013. It's been a little while. But, uh, but yeah, definitely diverse, good, uh, good MMA analyst, good MMA mind to have here to help me break down these fights here. Uh, we've got we've got a card that uh, you know some people are gonna are gonna are gonna criticize a little bit for not being you know a stack from top to bottom, but we're gonna do our best to give you all the information we know about these guys. And there's definitely no denying that. I mean, our main event is it's a banger. It's a it's an excellent exceptional fight. We're gonna have the middleweight championship on the line. Uh, Robert Whitaker. Some people call him the Reaper. I think the Bobby Knuckles name uh, is way better. He's gonna take on uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Is the challenger. Uh, Whitaker checks in at eighty nine hundred. On DraftKings, Gastelum is seventy three hundred, so quite a quite a discrepancy there. Uh, the odds fall right in line with that. Whitaker's a minus two fifty betting favorite. Uh, last I looked this afternoon, and Gastelum plus two ten. The odds to finish on this one are minus one seventy five. Uh, Richard, I'm going to let you kind of step into John's normal role here. Uh, what were your initial thoughts with this fight, um, and kind of how do you see it playing out? And 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 are the odds you know that far in favor of uh, Whitaker? Or do you think those are accurate? You know, I think it's one of those situations where obviously I think Whitaker is a clear favorite. And my initial reaction was I think the fight's a lot closer. I think that Gastelum has sort of a, a quirky counterfighting strategy, and I think he can definitely stay in the fight. But I guess if most people are coming into the fight thinking that Whitaker is a clear favorite, that kind of explains minus 250. So mm-hmm. uh, my initial reaction was that it should be closer, but then again, uh, I do think there's a clear favorite, and that kind of explains the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of in in that camp too. I mean, uh, Whitaker's a former uh, welterweight that decided, hey, I don't like cutting weight, and moved up. And of course, Gastelum had the weight cutting issues at welterweight, so he kind of was forced to move up here. So a lot of times in middleweight fights, you'll see Gastelum be very, very uh, undersized compared to his opponent. But it's not so much here: three inch height and two inch reach advantage uh, for Whitaker here. So uh, uh, anything about Whitaker's like striking? style i mean he tends to he, i know he's got a heck of a chin and uh he does uh the striking defense maybe comes into question sometimes but uh if you can take shots from yoel romero i mean my initial line of thinking was that he can probably take some from gastelum too yeah you know when i was actually working on my espn article for this uh this fight one of the things that really made it difficult was they're very similar in a lot of the metrics that we track um for example they both throw basically the same amount of punches to the head, body, and legs. They're both very focused on the head. Um, their striking differential is very similar. The The key differentiator in terms of striking really is the amount that they throw, and I think that that kind of contributes to the difference of striking defense. Uh, Whitaker is a lot more offensive. He attempts a lot more strikes, and I think in, on one hand that opens him up to a lot of reprisals, which is why his defense is so kind of lacking. But at the same time, I think that allows him to dictate the pace of the fight and really lead. And when you're in a 25-minute fight against a guy who may have cardio issues like Gaslam has shown at times, I think the fact that Whitaker is going to be the one moving forward, pushing the pace, and throwing more strikes, I think that ultimately it's going to be a close fight that comes down to decision. And I think that 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 output is really going to carry him to a victory. 
And, you know, if we get a decision and you want to have the output, if you're especially when we're talking about a five round main event fight on DraftKings. And I, I was a little bit back and forth on this. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pick Whitaker like we're going to we're going to do our staff picks tomorrow on the website. So you get to see who uh, who everybody picked. But uh, this one, it's I do give Whitaker the edge. And because it's five rounds, I think I'm going to use him on DraftKings. Um, I don't know. Do you think both of them throw enough volume that maybe you could stack this fight and use both in a lineup and and maybe get some some good striking volume from from the loser in this case? I I thought about it, um, and my initial reaction would be that Gaslam really isn't offensive enough to make that worthwhile. However, his salary is so low. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. what is this the. Uh, it's one of the lower salaries on, on the card. So if you were to, you know, maybe fill in a lineup, it might be better to take him versus a, a guy who is an underdog in a three round fight. So uh, I'm not sure if I would make that recommendation fully, but I, I definitely think if you have a hard decision to make, he's better than a lot of the options uh, from an underdog perspective. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the, uh, at the betting lines of this card from top to bottom, there are a lot of, uh, seemingly lopsided fights i don't think we're going to see what we saw with uh, fortaleza last week where I don't know, it was like five of the first six or seven fights underdogs won and they were off to a really crazy start i evened out a little bit towards the end but uh i, I was having a tough time picking up underdogs on this fight and uh since we can kind of agree that um that, that gaslum's maybe a little bit better than what the odds indicate you know just excellent in the pocket he he, he has a chance compared to some of the other guys that are plus 200 underdogs or more in my opinion but i'm still picking whitaker uh are you, are you going with the same thing do you have a pick for this one i am i'm, I'm gonna go with whitaker by decision i think it's my final prediction mm-hmm. i'm thinking whitaker can get the knockout but in the championship round so it'll be late fourth maybe fifth round um you know kind of similar to what we saw um, well, I guess both the Romero fights went to decision, but I think eventually, I think maybe he can get the uh, get the finish via knockout, just because you kind of alluded to some of those Gastelum uh, potential cardio issues. Shouldn't be as much of a, a big deal as as middleweight, but you know Whitaker's been to the championship rounds in both of his last fights against uh, against the guy in Yoel Romero. That's just a monster. So I'm going to give it to him. I think that seems to be the general consensus. And I, I, I do want to. Yeah, go ahead. I would say I, I do not to completely play devil's advocate, but I do worry about the amount of punishment that Whitaker took in those two fights. And uh, one of the things I'm working on from like a long term stat research perspective is kind of the idea that chins are sort of like breaking the seal. Um, and when your chin goes first and you start getting knocked down, you start getting, you know, really hurt in fights, that it's sort of a cascading effect. So I am kind of worried that, you know, he hadn't been knocked down in years and then he got knocked down twice in the Romero fight. On one hand, Romero is a very hard hitter and clearly has finishing power. But on the other hand, it's like once it starts to give out, is that a sign of things to come? So um, definitely don't want to write off Gastelum. And, you know, if, if there is an underdog that has a knockout chance, he has it. I just don't think it's a very good chance. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I use the similar line of thinking. Now, this is going way back, but I thought the same way in Tyron Woodley's first fight against Robbie Lawler. Lawler had just been through those absolute wars, you know, with Rory McDonald. And, and uh, you know, I picked Woodley in that fight for that reason. 
as an underdog because, you know, the chin's only going to stay up so long. And I think this is a theme we'll continue uh, maybe with a couple more uh, fights on this card. But uh, let's keep things moving here. We got another, uh, we got a co-main event here, not a title fight, but another uh, middleweight fight. Uh, A lot of people calling this maybe a symbolic changing of the guard in the UFC, but we've got uh, Israel, the last style bender, great nickname, Adesanya. He's taken on uh, a name that any casual fan should know by now, I would hope, in Anderson Silva, an absolute legend of the sport. Um, but the odds in this one are pretty lopsided, as are the DraftKings salaries. Adesanya checks in with a $9,600 salary. Silva is $6,600. Uh, Adesanya, biggest betting favorite on the card that I can see. On a card where there's a lot of big favorites, Adesanya is a minus 670 favorite. Silva's all the way up at plus 185. And with that, the odds to finish are minus 195, which with... Um, I'm checking here. Those are the best odds to finish on the pay-per-view portion of the card. So uh, something to take note here. But this is pretty lopsided. Uh, As far as the numbers go, I would be pretty willing to bet that when staff picks get posted tomorrow, um, we're we're going to see a unanimous selection here. Um, but I guess what is it about uh, Adesanya to maybe people that are newer to him? Uh, what is it about him that makes him so awesome? And uh, and how much exposure are you comfortable having? I mean, I'm always reticent to take such huge favorites in DraftKings just because they eat up so much of your bank, your budget bankroll kind of thing. Um, but I do think that certain fighters are hurt more by age than others. And I think the fact that Silva's offense and countering ability was so much based on his speed and his ability to be quicker than his opponent, that age has really hurt him. And I think that um, Adesanya is not going to walk into anything. He has a very a cautious yet explosive offense, if that makes any sense. And someone who's just as versed in kickboxing as he is, I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to say that Anderson is the, the biggest underdog on the card. I mean, he does have the lowest salary in DraftKings, but I just don't see a, a path for victory for him. So I guess uh, I guess that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adesanya uh, undefeated in his MMA career. He's just 29 years old, but he's got some. He's got a ridiculous number of kickboxing fights. I think over 70 to his name. So definitely has has experience in this type of con- competition. Uh, he got a pretty convincing uh, TKO win over Derek Brunson his last time out. Uh, Brad Tavares was his. Uh, he got him by a unanimous decision the time before that. So lately, he stepped up his competition. And continues to excel silva on the other hand uh the history of late um isn't so great i mentioned he's 43 years old i think he's turning 44 in april he also picked up a unanimous decision win over Derek brunson if you look at that on his fight log but i, I don't know if you feel the same way uh richard but i'm pretty sure that uh, that was uh, Derek brunson's fight um i think maybe silva got a little home cooking in that one and if you don't count that one silva's last win was 2012 yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't remember being particularly outraged, but I definitely thought that Brunson won that fight. And I mean, forty-four years old in the fight game is 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 not an ideal situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that he's still fighting because he seems to still want to fight and still put on a show. Uh, but at the same time, it's just, it's just sad to see a guy who's probably one of the best fighters in MMA history really come in as such a big underdog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's, I mean, there's a long layoff. That Brunson fight was uh, February 11th of 2017, um, and then before that, uh, the, the last time he fought before that, that was at UFC 200 all the way uh, July of 2016. That's an event I was at, and that seems like ages ago. Uh, for perspective, that was the last time Cain Velasquez fought as well, if, uh, if you can get that. Uh, um, do you ever look too much into these layoffs, or does it not matter with a fighter as experienced as Silva? 
I mean, every fight is different and more experienced fighters are probably affected less. But I mean, if you look at it, the long layoff actually is a factor. Guys coming off long layoffs, especially due to injuries, usually have a tough time coming back. Uh, one thing that I do want to talk about, kind of shifting gears to the DraftKings view of this, is that I, I think, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, I think that there is a lot of potential in this fight for this to be sort of a low volume fight where both guys kind of stick to the outside because I think Anderson's schooled enough that he's not necessarily going to walk headlong into anything. And maybe this could turn out to be a fight that's very low volume on both sides and lead to like, you know, a low score for Adesanya, even if he wins 30, 27 across the board. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to put Adesanya in your lineup at 9,600, you are definitely banking on getting that uh finish in the first round or possibly in the second round and, and i see i definitely see where you're coming from with that uh, both of these guys have uh, i would think a very high fight iq especially uh in the sand stand-up game given all about his kickboxing experience so um i could see an argument where they would you know they would want to think that um that maybe they'd feel each other out a little bit more and, and the volume might be lower than some of their previous fights at the same time I mean, they're giving them the co-main event slot on a pay-per-view, and, and this is all, I don't really have numbers, this is more, more or less a gut feeling for me, but uh, this, for me, is a changing of the guard with the UFC. I would not be surprised if uh, Silva gets beat and decides to hang up his gloves, even though, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe if he looks good, but I mean, mid-40s here for, uh, for fighters, that typically, it's, it's very rare the way it is. Um, so I think this is one of those where we're going to see a top, middleweight contender emerge. I don't know if this is enough to get Adesanya a title shot, but definitely another uh, a top five opponent at the very least. And this is, I mean, Adesanya has been in the main event spot before, so he's had exposure, but this is a real high exposure area. And we've seen this uh, with, with, with other fights in the UFC when they're trying to build up guys. Adesanya wants a highlight reel. He wants something for his highlight reel, and he wants it to be against a uh, UFC legend. So I think he's confident enough in his chin that maybe he will take a little bit of a risk in pursuit of that knockout. And I think he ultimately gets it done. But if you're using him in your lineup at 9,600, he pretty much has to get it done. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, you're going to go ahead and pick the style bender as well? Yeah, I'm going to take the style bender, but only by decision. I know Mike be going out on a line or limb with that, but I think that the fight's going to be <laughs> slow paced, boring, but one sided. Mm-hmm. So an Adesanya decision in, in the scenario you described, you're looking at like sixty to seventy DraftKings points for a ninety six hundred dollar guy, and you know twenty thirty points tops for Silva, even even at that cheaper price. So maybe this is a low key fade one from a DFS perspective. I don't know how popular that view is, but that was that was my reaction for sure. Yeah. I'm going to give this one to Adesanya, but I, I, you may have convinced me that it can get out of the first round, but I still think he'll get the finish in the second round for me. So uh, that's how I see this one uh, playing out. But let's keep going down the card. These are ones that are going to be important to talk about because we don't have a ton of household names here uh, after this. So uh, we'll kind of keep the momentum going, and we'll uh, talk about a few of these guys. The next one up is in the bantamweight division. Uh, we've got Ronnie Yaya going up against Ricky Simone um, the drafting salaries on this one it's a very uh, narrow fight this is one of the closest ones on the card and of course the salaries and the odds uh, dictate this one uh, Yaya's 8,000 Simone 8,200 Simone is a uh, minus 125 
betting favorite and yeah, yes, plus 105. So pretty close to a pick em. We'll see how the money kind of moves around uh, as we march towards the end of the week. The odds to finish on this one are also a pick em, which is a little bit surprising to me. We'll get to that one in a sec. Odds to finish minus 105. Uh, so, you know, a pretty much a pick em for all intents and purposes. Uh, this is a close one, uh, Richard. Uh, any thoughts on uh, how this one might play out? Uh, what type of guy you lean towards uh, from a DraftKings perspective? And I guess all ultimately a pick yeah you know i think ronnie aya is a very well is very much a throwback fighter you know he's a guy who comes out he does not like to strike a lot he's not very good at it he mostly is trying to get the fight on the ground and work for submissions and he's been effective enough to keep his job in the ufc for all this time uh i think that in some ways simone can win the fight but I don't necessarily think that his um, his style matches up particularly well. He's not a huge finisher, and the finishes that he has are mostly by decision. Um, if he is going to win this fight, he's going to have to stay out of, out of trouble for a round or so and then hope to come on late. Um, it's entirely possible, and I think that's why the lines are so close. I personally favor Yaya. I think that he's going to be able to get a takedown or jump for a submission and um, – you know, it's just a different level of grappling. And we see when guys, you know, we saw it last week against Lyman Good and Damian Maya. I'm not saying Yaya is the level of Damian Maya, but you see that Lyman Good's a guy who wrestled coming up and he had never been submitted before. He gets in there with a better grappler and, you know, he doesn't even fully get taken down. He stands up right away and he still gets submitted. So mm-hmm. I think that's more likely, but uh, I would not be surprised if Simone won the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it in your fight recap article this week. Uh, you mentioned how uh, Damian Maya got the win without landing a single significant strike and that was uh just astounding to me uh my, my, my espn stream was having some problems and uh suddenly it got delayed and i got the notification on my phone before the fight even started and i was disappointed i didn't get to see it but it was just like well now we'll, we'll move on but anyway yeah yeah not quite i agree definitely not on, on maya maya's like an all-world elite grappling level here but that's kind of the path to victory here for yaya i mean he's got three wins in a row here uh you know the names not necessarily all that impressive luke sanders russell doan uh henry briones um of course all by submission one kimura one arm triangle choke uh one heel hook so uh course he can do it in a variety of ways he's never knocked anybody out so maybe that's uh for some that's a red flag on DraftKings. but the stoppage rate with him is excellent 20 submissions in 29 professional victories here um i mean so you, you think he can get the submission here and, and eventually hit that value on DraftKings? i i do because when when yaya has had trouble recently it was really only against Joe Soto. And Joe Soto is a guy who is very much into like the competitive grappling world. He does EBI and things like that. So he kind of knew how to approach Yaya and stay out of submissions while maintaining position. And I don't see that kind of discipline from, from Simone. Uh, Simone is a guy who came up through LFA, a decent circuit. He's looked all right in the UFC. You know, he's finished his fights, but uh, I just don't, I just don't think he's going to get it done. It wouldn't shock me. Like I said, it's going to be a close fight, but I, I definitely favor Yaya by a submission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, to finish his fights was an interesting thing because looking at his fight log, uh, he did take the unanimous decision from Montel Jackson. I agree with that. Um, and then his only other, you know, official UFC fight uh, was uh, against Mirab Valishvili. And uh, that one, 
um, was one that he was losing, I would say, for most of the fight. And then just in the final, final seconds, they gave him kind of a technical submission win. He had uh, Dvalishvili in a, uh, in a real tight guillotine, but Dvalishvili was kind of bicycling his legs and he was trying to show that he was still out there, but they eventually gave him the win. So I'm sure he deserves a win, but maybe I'd put a little bit of an asterisk towards that one. I mean, he was getting, I think he was getting worked in that fight and, and uh, Yaya is not going to bring the same kind of striking uh, in that fight or, or maybe not even the same kind of pace. Yaya gets me, he's someone that's uh, calm and collected, um, but I still think he can, uh, he can get that finish and he'll be able to get him. I mean, Simone has been taken down eight times in those two UFC fights. So he's definitely susceptible uh, to the takedown. Uh, The only thing with this is like, I'm trying to predict ownership here and you know even in the early staff picks that I'm collecting a lot of people are on Yaya do you think that might be too chalk almost well it's it's interesting because yeah I think a lot of people are going to take him uh, you brought up the Divishvili fight and if you remember Simone got taken down a lot and he fought his way up and I think a guy like Yaya would be able to use those opportunities to set up submissions but you said that, you know, a lot of people in the picks and everything are taking him, but he has gone from a betting favorite to a betting underdog. So perhaps, you know, it's a little bit like DFS pro players or whatever you want to call them versus the public. So it will be interesting to see how that works out with, you know, the general um, in the general. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ecosystem of DFS players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's it's quite the uh, complex ecosystem. But uh, you know, for a guy like me that only does a couple lineups, I think I'm definitely throwing uh, uh, Yaya in there because th- we'll talk about underdogs a little bit later on in the show. But there's just there's just not a whole lot that I like, and and the eight thousand gives you at least a couple hundred to put towards another favorite. So uh, this one's for me too. I'm going to take Yaya by submission. I think maybe Simone can outlast him in the first round, and we'll see. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just stick to second rounds here, and I'll go second round sub here. Um, so I think we're in agreement there. Uh, there are going to be a couple Ricky Simones, I think, when we get our staff picks. And, again, I'll be posting those tomorrow. Um, anything else on this fight, or should we move on to the next one? No, I think that covers it for me. All right. So next up, we've got a... A battle between a couple of relative unknowns. There's not a whole lot of film out uh, on these two ladies. It's a flyweight matchup between Montana De La Rosa and Nadia Kasim. Uh, the salaries are, have De La Rosa a pretty big favorite. She's 8,800. Kasim 7,400. Um, De La Rosa minus 265 betting favorite. Kasim uh, plus 225. Uh, the odds to finish on this one are. Uh, are uh, plus 100, which is actually, I mean, you know, for your average women's flyweight fight, you don't see a ton of that. Um, you know, listening to the couple of fights on De La Rosa, three-time high school All-American, she was on season 26 of uh, the uh, Ultimate Fighter and lost in the quarterfinals to Nico Montana. Um she seems pretty good on the ground to me. That's definitely my inclination here. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on these two, and and are the odds and, and salaries appropriate for this one? Well, I'm starting to feel a little guilty for the chalk, but I, I think that De La Rosa should be a healthy favorite in this fight for a couple of reasons. One, Kasim is mostly a striker. She has a traditional martial arts background. She came up in Taekwondo and, you know, she throws a lot of kicks and she's a decent striker, but, um, you know, De La Rosa comes from a wrestling background. She showed that when she was on tough plus Kasim is coming up in weight. She was fighting at 115 and she was struggling to make the weight. So now she's up at 125. Mm -hmm. And while I do think being undersized is sort of 
blown out of proportion a lot in MMA. I think that because she's facing a wrestler, it's probably going to hurt her. And I think it's going to really make it harder for her to stay off the ground. So I I think that Montana or Montana has the better uh, avenue to victory through her wrestling. Uh, So I think she's the rightful favorite. And I think that's explains the line and the DraftKings price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on this one. This one is one I tried to keep an open mind and not really take the odds into consideration when I started to look at uh, the last couple of these fights. Uh, I mean, Kasim, yes, she has one UFC fight at strawweight. I think she missed weight for that fight, if I remember correctly. Um, so now, you know, moving up to flyweight here, uh, you know. Again, there's not much film, so I just watched the one Alex Chambers fight, which she won via unanimous decision. She only has five professional bouts in her career. Um, and, you know, again, you said moving up from strawweight, we coverage that. Uh, she had four stoppage wins kind of against no names. And then uh, I do think there are submissions in her arsenal, which De La Rosa will have to be careful of. Uh, she she attempted what looked for a second to be a pretty uh, nasty heel hook in the Chambers fight. And I think fight met her creditor with like six submission attempts in that fight. So she's trying for him, at least just not quite as successful. But when it's all said and done, uh, I think I'm going to go De La Rosa here. Um I mean, seven of her nine wins are via submission. So even the high DraftKings price might be able to uh, might be able to pay off. Of course, you got to have that uh, uh, stoppage. I mean, not to discredit the wins, but her second one was against Rachel Ostevich, who uh, she was subbed even quicker by Paige Van Zant recently. So uh, just kind of if we take common opponents in, uh, into account there, and then of course the height and reach advantage goes to De La Rosa. Uh, I'm with you on this one. I think this is going to be mostly the case. One thing I'm probably going to do, though, is I'm going to stay away from this fight on DraftKings because De La Rosa's price is pretty high. And I saw enough from Kasim in the Chambers fight to think maybe she can ward off some of those submission attempts. And this one could very much end in a decision. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think we're destined for a decision in this fight either way. Um, I mean, if you're really... um, locked in on De La Rosa for DraftKings, then you're hoping that this is a fight where she's getting a ton of takedowns and a ton of passes and running up the score that way. And, you know, you kind of mentioned that Kasim was able to scramble and go for submissions against Chambers. So it's possible that she'd be able to keep her in guard. And then we're looking at a fight where maybe three, four takedowns, you know, maybe 20, 30 significant strikes. And then we're looking at, you know, another 60, 70 score, which probably isn't worth 8,800. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just looking at kind of other fighters in that 8,800 tier on DraftKings too, which is what I like to do when thinking about these. I mean, uh, I don't know, Kai Kara France is 9,000. I think he probably has a pretty decent chance at, at a stoppage here. Um, kind of looking around. Uh, oh, it's because I've got some in my lineup here. I've been playing around. I mean, using her is going to limit your ability to use Adesanya. It might limit your ability to use Whitaker. Um, another guy that I kind of like is uh, Devontae Smith. I think he's got some star potential. I mean, he's 8,600. Like, um, I would probably rather use Devontae Smith at 8,600 than De La Rosa at 8,800 and kind of try to hunt that stoppage but uh but but maybe that's just me so i think we can pretty much agree that uh this one's a fade for me on DraftKings. anything to add on this one or should we head on to the last one well so you did mention uh both Devonte smith and kai Kara france and i just wanted to touch on this i guess it's a good time but i, I do think that those are two fights and maybe the ishihara kung ho kang fight i think those are three fights that maybe would be on the main card if not for the fact that these prelims are on espn 
And I think that it's kind of interesting that maybe the bout order was juiced that way to, to give the uh, free TV some fights that perhaps in the past would have been on pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because they kind of did the same thing uh, with the first ESPN card ever where uh, they kept Donald Cerrone and Hernandez on the uh, on the main card and, um, you know, turned out to be an awesome fight, uh, awesome performance by Cerrone on ESPN. And, you know, they were left with a couple, you know, I don't want to say amateurs, but not too far off from the amateur days and, you know, in the Greg Hardy uh, fight that, of course, you know, we know how that one ended with the uh, with the disqualification there so uh i wonder if this is a theme that we'll continue to see uh moving forward as we start to juice it up or if uh or if it's something that'll maybe just uh continue during the first couple months of espn until they kind of get that established fan base locked in right i mean it really doesn't bother me i have to watch the whole card anyway so oh yeah exactly (laughs) i I mean yeah i mean we're all watching for front to back and uh like every other mma media member i'm sure both of us can uh can attest to how awesome the earlier start times have been lately but not sure that's going to apply with the regular pay-per-view here um all right we got one more matchup to discuss on the pay-per-view it's a light heavyweight bout between smiling sam elvig and jim the brute crute excellent nickname there um lv 7900 on DraftKings. crude is 8300 uh lv's plus 120 crude minus 140 so those odds and salaries uh match up here odds to finish on this one are plus 100 uh this one is one that with the early picks that i've got um we didn't share picks before going into this fight so we're kind of both coming in cold but with the early picks that i've got this one's a little bit more uh back and forth definitely seeing a couple underdog picks uh with Alvi in this one but uh how do you see this one playing out richard and this might be a crutch that i have but i always have a hard time picking not only Alvi but fighters like Alvi in the sense that he is giving up fundamentals of striking for the purpose of landing a power shot so he's literally going out there and doing nothing but looking for power shots. The thing is, he's been very effective at it, but it's just hard for me to look at his fights and like pick him to win because he's throwing with a very low volume. He's taking shots that he probably doesn't need to take and hoping for a big shot. And, you know, he's beaten good fighters that way. Uh, but I, I mean, if I'm just breaking it down from a fundamentals perspective, I have a hard time picking him. Now, Crute, on the other hand, is more of a grappler than I would think um and so that's kind of an interesting twist because he's gonna have to close the distance against alvi look for those takedowns get the fight on the ground and alvi actually is a pretty decent wrestler and he does throw hard so i think he's gonna have to use a little bit more striking than he would probably like to close the distance effectively avoid those punches and then go to work on the ground alvi's hard to finish so he's gonna have to either hold position or to get the submission because alvi's gonna continue to throw those power strikes until the final bell so uh, i favor crute but i think in a lot of ways that's my own personal stylistic bias that is coming into play so i might not be the most level-headed from that perspective Mm -hmm. Hey, I got you though with the I like the wrestling comment. Uh it's really defensive wrestling. Uh you know, he's Elvie's not a guy that's gonna throw takedowns really. Again, he's gonna come out headhunting. Uh but he does have an eighty four percent takedown defense. So opponents have been unsuccessful at trying to get him out of his game and getting it on the mat. That's a pretty respectable rate here uh for the UFC. And uh man, you know, man, we're pretty arm in arm for this one, but uh I'm I'm with you in that philosophy with Alvi, and you know maybe part of it is that the very last film that I watched before sitting down to record this with you was watching Alvi get knocked out by little uh, by little Nog in his last fight, and uh, 
um, I don't know, just didn't look good. You know, he's 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 throwing to or he's getting hit to throw. Um, you always bring up uh, striking differential in your articles, uh, and so that's gotten me to start looking at that. And uh, Alves is negative, so there's that. Um, and you mentioned like his grappling skills that Crude has, and you know he's he's just uh, you know 22 years old, but he looked pretty good in the fight against Paul Craig. I mean, he's a BJJ brown belt. Uh, he's undefeated as a pro. I mean, the mat skills were pretty good. He was taken down by Craig, but was able to get reversals and kind of get back to his feet when he needed to. Ended up attempting four submissions in that fight before eventually finishing with what I believe was a Kimura. Yeah, he finished that in the kind of closing seconds of, uh, he was in the last 10 seconds of the fight, actually. So uh, that showed, you know, skill um, above someone who's 22 years old now that's where the real big differentiation comes here um lv is 10 years older he's got 16 ufc fights and this will be crude's second fight here um so do you ever play into that experience advantage a whole lot or are you mostly just kind of looking at this from a pure skill-based perspective I, I think that can play a factor and i do think that's an element of Alvi's success he is very seasoned and he does sort of have like a gamesmanship about his game he knows what he's good at and he doesn't waste a lot of time trying to be something else um so in that sense i do think that's a factor and you know as i said before if this fight gets past the first or second round i would immediately swing to alvi in the later rounds because he's been there before and he knows how to pull out these victories and he's able to retain his power into those later rounds um i i do question his move up to light heavyweight. I know no one likes cutting weight, but if you're the kind of guy whose entire game is based on power, I don't necessarily think moving up uh, to 205 pounds is the best career move. Um, when did he? Do you remember when he moved up? I think it was when Alvi did three fights ago. Yeah, it's been a while, right? Yeah, I'm kind of checking the log right now. Giante. Um, or Rashad was when he fought Rashad Evans in 2017. Was that at middleweight? Because I remember Rashad tried to move so, down. Yeah he, he, yeah, he moved up for the Marching Prochino fight in 2018. So his last three have been mm-hmm. at light heavyweight, and he scored a, a first round knockout. Then he went to decision, and then he got knocked out. So, um, and before that, he had a pretty solid string of decision victories. So I'm not really sure if the power is that much diminished by moving up in weight, but I do think that it probably wasn't the best career move for him. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion. I mean, he did get knocked out by a 42-year-old in his last fight. So <laughs> if anything, that plays into your point even better. Right. True. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that that concludes the whole pay-per-view portion. We got through it, Richard. Thanks for bearing with me here. Some of these fights, uh, hopefully we uh, taught you guys something or another here um, as you start to build those DraftKings lineups. But speaking of uh, DraftKings perspective here, you know, you mentioned there are some some more intriguing uh, fights as we get down the card Um, in all those fights or even in the ones that we just talked about. um, Do you got any value plays, any live underdogs you think uh, might be worth a look to really help fill out those DraftKings lineups? Um, I actually think that Austin Arnett, yes, he's one and two in his last three fights, but I think that both Shane Young and Austin Arnett are both guys who haven't fought the best competition and both haven't looked that great. And there's a pretty wide gap in terms of price. Uh, Austin Arnett is at 7,100 and uh, Shane Young is all the way up at 9,100. I think that's a pretty close fight, and 
Um, Fight Matrix actually does a ELO predictions, which is based on the computerized ranking formula, and they give Arnett a 40% chance. So I think that that's actually probably a pretty live dog. And, you know, as you kind of said before, a lot of the, the underdogs on this fight card are not necessarily guys you feel great about. So if you take a guy who's as low as 7,100, that really opens you up to flesh out your lineup with some, mm-hmm. you know, more favorite fighters. So I, mm-hmm. I would consider doing that. You know, sometimes I think it's smart to just take one really bad uh, priced guy and then fill in with, with higher priced guys or try to spread it out. So I think for this card, I would probably take, you know, one or two flyers and then fill out with more favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to spend <laughs> 6,600 on Anderson Silva and, and hope he's got something left, I, I've seen people doing that before. Um, but th- no, that's very interesting. Where did, who's doing that prediction again? You said that's on fight matrix and they do their, with their rankings. It's an algorithm algorithm thing. You can just kind of Google any of these guys go to fight matrix. Yeah. So on fight matrix, they have, they have their own computerized ranking, which is based on LEO, but they've also, or I'm sorry, ELO. But they've also started doing just a pure ELO, which um, is what 538 uses for their basketball predictions. Okay. So I've been kind of looking at that recently. And they have, yeah, they have Shane Young at 59.89%, and they have Austin Arnett at a little bit over 40%. So, I mean, that's pretty close in the fight game. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially consi- that's like it's surprising to see it's so different from the odds because Young's at minus 325 and Arnett's at plus 265. So uh, definitely, I mean, 40 percent, that's that's better than that dictates. So maybe there's some odds value there. And and yeah, like you said, uh, um, that's one way to do that. I've just been uh, kind of tinkering around with lineups here as we're talking today. Uh, I threw a lineup with Whitaker, Adesanya and uh, Devante Smith in it. And then uh, I, I used Yaya and then I I did what we were kind of against and I stacked the Whitaker Gastelum fight for that main event, um, which is definitely something to, uh, to think about here. But then I had $7,600 left and I started looking into this other fighter, uh, very, very early prelims. Uh, so you'll have to tune in pretty early, but I believe his name is uh, Callan Potter uh, checking in on the very, it's the second fight of the card. And, um, Oh, we didn't mention this with Crute, but, uh, playing the whole Australians in Australia narrative. I guess you could say the same thing for Whitaker, uh, but uh, Potter's another guy who's fighting early on, you know, 17 and seven is a pro. Um, This will be his UFC debut. So I don't know a ton about him, Um, but you know, he's an Australian in Australia and he gets this guy in Jalen Turner, who's pretty inexperienced as well. Uh, Turner has just 11 professional fights under his belt and he fought on, he's another, uh, contender series guy he fought uh and got knocked out by uh, vicente luque uh what is it you know six months back uh in october so you know maybe there's a chance there give him uh, i saw a couple other touts throwing this pick out as well i'll, I'll admit that I didn't, I didn't pop it originally but uh i don't know 7500 there's somebody there um but again I think the point that we can we can both agree on is that uh, it's 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 crazy tough to find underdogs. So uh, that means for a lot of people, maybe giving Silva a shot, stacking a fight, or, or going with one of these guys. Yeah, I mean, not to bring up the ELO favorite again, but the Fight Matrix ELO does have Potter seventy three point two five percent to win. So there you go. Seventy. So so he's at seventy three point two five percent to win, and he's a plus two fifteen <laughs> underdog. So. Uh, well, there we go. I mean, that's right, another so resource. What, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'll give him even better odds value than the uh, than the Arnett fight. But uh, well, there we go. We've got two. That's been able to help us uh, discover two underdogs here, and maybe that 
I mean, if that's really the case, I'd be surprised if Potter stays around at plus plus 210, plus 215, plus 200-ish. I mean, maybe that's a decent bet to make, too. If uh, You know, I, I never like uh, throwing a bet on the guys that I, I don't know a ton about, but uh, that could be something to look at there. Um, all right. Yeah, he opened it. I mean, plus... he's loaded. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say his lone UFC fight, I believe, was he got leg locked by marching held in like a minute. So it's possible that people just have a negative opinion of him because of his <laughs> his career so far and that he actually has a lot more to show. Yeah, I mean, that's throwing him, throwing him into the fire right away. Um, but all right, I think that's going to wrap things up uh, for us today, our breakdown of uh, the card. Any uh, any final thoughts on the card? Any fight you're particularly excited for or any anything else you want to close with? Um, I think the UFC 234 main event is a very solid fight. I'm pretty excited for it. Always good to see uh, Anderson Silva, one of the best fighters in UFC history. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I think the move to ESPN has added some interesting quirks to the production and the pacing. So it's interesting to see this is the first pay-per-view of that contract. So it'll be interesting to see if that anything changes there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, most of us have been. I was a huge fan of the pacing in Fortaleza. I really hope they keep that up, uh, you know, for the for the rest of these cards. And and all signs are indicating that they're going to do that. So that's uh, awesome for us in the media, and I think it's going to provide a better fan experience as well. Really excited to see how this continues to evolve uh, under the ESPN family of networks here. Well. That's going to wrap things up. So thanks again very much for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts podcast. Again, Richard Mann, thanks so much for joining me today, uh, covering for John this week. It was a pleasure talking fights with you for a little while. Uh, if you're out there on Twitter, give Richard a follow at Richard A. Mann. You know, he, he talked about all the different uh, places that you contribute to between ESPN and Fight Matrix and Fight Metric and, and of course, Rotowire MMA. I like some of the graphs that you put through on Twitter and the wrestling coverage. He's a great follow, you guys. Uh, give him a look. Um, of course, me, uh, you can find at Jakeski52. I'll be tweeting all your MMA and all your college hoops content because that's what I do here at Rotowire. Um, but thanks again for joining me, Richard. Uh, John's going to be back with me prior to UFC 235. We're going to do uh, the Bones versus Smith breakdown, Usman, Woodley, Lawler, Askren, just a hell of a card we've got there. Uh, do not forget. Uh, there's going to be another breakdown fight IQ is going to give it a run uh, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern that'll be live on the Rotowire YouTube channel uh, you can check those out do some Q&A with them and of course we'll post that on the site afterwards and of course if you're not yet a subscriber to rotowire.com go ahead and uh, go to rotowire.com slash free or rotowire.com slash pod all those links work they'll give you a free 10 days to all tools regular tools non-DFS uh, no strings attached there you won't need a credit card to set that up of course all of our MMA content our articles and, pl- and fighter notes and updates live recaps all of that stuff is free uh, one of the s- things that we like to continue to make free for our subscribers but there are a ton of dfs tools and other articles fantasy baseball seasons right around the corner um you know you can get your baseball draft software all that kind of stuff ready to go but 10 days rotowire.com slash pod we'll do that one rotowire.com slash pod keep it nice and simple uh thanks again for listening and we will catch you guys next time